Welcome back to another episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast. I am your host, Danger, and I cannot do this without my musical counterpart, Monster. Say hi, Monster. What up, everybody? Good morning. So on today's episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast, we're going to be talking about Living Sacrifice's 1997 album, Reborn. Now, Monster, you brought this one to the table. Tell me why. Well, I felt like we had gotten into a little bit of a pattern of some softer stuff. Not super soft, but a little emo, a little indie. And I wanted to shake it up a little bit and wake us up a little bit. So Shake it up, you did. Up. <laughs> so I wanted to pull out a, a heavy metal record that I really liked when I was younger that uh, I've, I put on occasionally, but it had been a minute since I had given this a good run through and uh, brought back a lot of memories, brought back a lot of uh, early days of going to shows and just sort of my mindset back in the you know late 90s, early 2000s. There was a lot of quote unquote Christian rock and Christian metal. Some of it was cool, but some of it had a little edge of fringiness to it. And this is one of the, the early examples of a Christian band that's like, there is no cringe. There is no corny. You, you can't deny what these guys are bringing to the table. That's not to say it's not without its flaws, and we'll get to those. But yeah, I thought this was a fun record to, to talk about and revisit. I know you were familiar with Living Sacrifice. You were familiar with this record. What did uh, what were you kind of vibing when you first revisited it? So I do want to say that yes, I have been familiar with Living Sacrifice uh, since my teenage years. And if I'm not mistaken, we actually discovered that you and I went to the same concert that you, Living Sacrifice played. I think it was back in 2000, 2000. One, two, I don't know. All those years get muddied together. Yeah. But yeah, um, so I remember when Living Sacrifice hit the scene. And I don't want to say when they hit the scene, like their first album. I think it was right about this time because, you know, I was listening to a lot of bands that were on Solid Stay, which was this uh, this record label, which was an imprint of Tooth and Nail. And uh, Solid State seemed to cater more towards the... Uh, the heavier thrash metal punk bands like and it was always a kind of a thing of like well these are you know christian bands i can listen to these and mom and dad are okay with it and they don't sound like them but you know this is an example of some guys that are in a band that are christian but aren't necessarily writing christian music all the time you know christian you know song praise and worship songs blah blah i know there is a couple on here but lyrical content is not always there. Now, I think I found them the album before this. And then, of course, this album being on Tooth and Nail or Solid State, you know, kind of gave them some more, uh, some more, you know, uh, leverage in the in the industry, I guess. I remember loving this album when it first came out. Mm hmm. And that actually is a uh, an interesting thing for me that I found within this album is you know, we've talked about music we loved when we were younger and how we hear it different now. But this album was one that when I first heard it, I was like, this is great. But I was also just consuming anything and everything with, sure. with no hesitation, just consuming it. And it was like, if it sounded good from the beginning, I was going to like the whole thing. And it's not that way anymore, which really changed the way that I listened to this album. So Something I kind of dug into is 
Um, I had a big issue with the production on this album. I, I, I thought the production was fuzzy. It was hard to separate the instruments um, at a certain point in pretty much every song. And uh, the drums got buried in a lot of places. I felt like for uh, favor of just atmosphere and mm -hmm. uh, things became a bit repetitive at a certain point. But I started looking into it, and the producer on this album was a guy named Barry Pointer. And I feel like this is something that needs to be pointed out. So this is their first album on Solid State. They had put out, I think it was three before this, and um, Brandon Ebel over at Tooth & Nail, um, I think he caught wind of them and was like, these guys are great. They don't fit on Tooth & Nail with Starflyer 59, was it? And like all these other bands that, you know... Yeah, and, and MXPX, right? And so put them over on Solid State. But I don't feel like they were going to give them like all the, the, you know, the attention they needed. It was kind of like they were going to let them prove themselves. And I think they did because I think in this case, the band was actually more talented than the producer. Producer Barry Pointer had produced two albums before this. He produced Zayo's first album, All Else Failed, which then they re-recorded and re remastered. And then he uh, produced an album called 12 Point Master Plan by Bob Goblin, which the uh, the band name was more fun than the band itself. Um, yeah. And then he produced this album. Now, they went back and remastered this album and re-released it, and I wanted to go listen to it. As soon as I came across that, I wanted to go listen to it, but I didn't. I haven't yet, and I'm going to after this, because... The production value, I think, is the thing that actually hurt this album probably the most. Now, after this, they ended up getting a better producer and, you know, ended up making better overall albums. But, you know, I think that this is a great example of a band getting picked up by a label that was picking up tons of bands at this point. You know, they were just trying to make it as a label and they gave them their uh, bottom of the barrel producer to put out an album. That's pretty much what it was. And then they relied heavily on their live shows, which you, you, you know, you can attest their live shows are great. They were a lot of fun live. I remember them being fantastic. I think I've seen them twice and they are great. Uh, so you just said a whole lot of stuff. I did. I did. I kind of, I kind of word vomited on you. Uh, and there's a couple of pieces in there that I wanted to, to pick out on. All right. Um, you are correct. Most people consider this their first record, and it is their first on a major label, as major as Solid State is. Um, they, Aren't they still on Solid State? Yeah, they're they're kind of, sort of, still around. Like they do the occasional show here or there. Well, they're they getting old now, you know. They are older guys because uh, they actually started in '89. And you are right. Yeah. They released three records before they signed to Solid State. And I went back through and listened to some of those. They sound like a different band. Um, yeah. So I'm looking at it now. They were together until um, with almost all the original members until 2003, broke up, got back together in 2005, broke up again, and 2008 to present is what they're listed as. So, and, yeah. and 2008 to present is literally like writing some songs here or there, playing a couple gigs here or there, but nothing real, you know, full time. Um, well, it looks like they, all the members, except for the lead singer, 
are involved in other projects, other groups and stuff. So it's probably a, hey, we got some time. Let's throw something down. Um, so to your point about the production, the first, those three records before the Solid State era, they don't they don't even really have the same kind of uh, rhythmic like chug that you hear on this album, which becomes kind of their defining sound over the years. Um, they almost have more in common with bands like Cannibal Corpse and Cradle of Filth, like they're yeah black metal death metal and if you listen to that genre it's a very thin muddy mix in production so i think part of what happened was when solid state picked them up they were almost expecting more of that but they kind of flipped on them and did an almost completely different sound but they were already dialed in for what they were expecting because i agree with you i think that I would love to hear the remastered version, but from from a perspective of what else was going on in 1997, Megadeth released the, what was that album? I don't I, remember, but... I know what you're talking about because I looked at it as I was yeah. as I was digging into this because I was... Megadeth released an yeah. album, Machine Head released an album, Limp Biscuit released $3 Bills, y'all. And if you go back and listen to the production on those records... You'll hear a lot of similarities here. It's sure. not because I think people get wrapped up in the modern production, which is super low end, very bass heavy, kick drum heavy, where these guys musically are bass heavy and kick drum heavy, but the production is more late 90s. So it does lose a little bit in translation there. I agree with that. Well, I am. Um, I don't want to put all the the blame for the sound of this on the producer. I am going to put some on the engineer as well because, as a yeah. person who's been in studio and been behind a soundboard many times, more times I can count, the engineer has a lot to do with the sound because it's almost like the producer wants more, wants more, wants more, and the engineer is it has to interpret what they're saying and right. relay that. So I do put some you know some uh muddied blameness on the producer or the engineer and there's a couple spots that you know as a musician i i feel like i'm hearing where it it gets a little bit garbled just from the musician standpoint because they are trying to do so many things sometimes but one thing i wanted to do before we dive into the record proper was do another one of my monsters music history lessons. <laughs> I'll get the theme music ready for you. Yeah. And let's, let's try to clean it up a little bit. Okay. So I'll try. <laughs> so I think when people hear the term, Christian rock or Christian metal, all kinds of things pop into their head. And I would say the vast majority of them is incorrect. Most people didn't grow up like you and I did, where there was Christian rock and metal clubs, you know, a couple of them within a hundred mile radius that you could go and see bands that were like this. Yep. With praise and worship style lyrics. So I did a little bit of digging and it's, it's no surprise that Christian rock and metal started to form around the 60s and 70s yep. with that Jesus hippie, you know. Absolutely. 
movement that everybody talks about. They just made a big movie about it and all this stuff. And essentially what it was, was it was these hippies out in California, street musicians who were banging on acoustic guitars and buckets and stuff, making music. They found Christ and they just basically kept playing the same music. They just added, you know, praise and worship style lyrics to it. One of the coolest things that I found was there's this guy named Larry Norman, who was kind of one of these dudes. He released a song in 1969 called Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? I'd okay. highly recommend listening to this song. It okay. is it's so much fun. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a 1960s rock song about, hey, Christians can write rock and roll too. <laughs> I want the people to know that he saved my soul, but I still like to listen to the radio. They say rock and roll is wrong, we'll give you one more chance. I say I feel so good, I gotta get up and dance. I know what's right. So, I do want to go back and say something that uh, I had actually mentioned before is, you know, that you and I have talked about that if you're going to change what you're listening to based on what a person believes then you're going to, you know, if you're going to align that with whatever you believe, whoever the listener is, then what you're listening to is going to shrink drastically because Absolutely. you don't agree or whatever. And actually, I'm going to stand by that. I think that there are a lot of Christian bands, bands that are labeled as Christian bands, you know, whether they are a actual, you know, market themselves as a Christian band or they are Christians in a band that um, it was, quote-unquote, found out they were Christian, which I don't really think that makes a bit of difference. As long as you're a good person, you're a good person. But, you know, I think that that hurts their reputation, and it it's like kicking water uphill to make it in, in the scene. And in music overall, let's put it that way, in the industry. And, you know, I do think that there are a lot of bands that have, you know, kind of been you know, hurt by that and deserve a second chance, deserve a chance to be heard by more people and taken seriously. Yeah. And, and, um, and that's again, another reason I wanted to do this record because, you know, being a, a musician who is currently in a Christian band, who has been in several Christian bands over the years, I know what it feels like to try to explain to the layman, no, this is Christian rock. Well, it doesn't sound like Christian music. It's it's too heavy. I know that doesn't matter. The lyrics are blah, blah, blah. Well, you can't sing those kind of lyrics over heavy music. That's not blah, blah, whatever. Like you, it's crazy that in 2023, there are still people like that out there. Um, They're the same people that think that uh, a person of uh, a certain faith shouldn't have tattoos or whatever. I, and it's, it's, it's that there has been this, enormous amount of god-awful pun intended um god-awful uh contemporary music or uh these things that are floating around uh tiktok and whatever yeah. of these extremely cringeworthy church safe covers of songs right and i think that that stuff has done more damage to the scene overall and so and and just uh you know, to piggyback off of that, the lyrics, I would challenge you to put these lyrics up against something like Bethel or Hillsong United or Elevation. This is just as praise and worship as any of those songs are, just wrapped in a much more 
aggressive shell. Works much better for me. If this was what was happening Sunday morning, church would be a little bit more fun for me. These churches <laughs> exist in California. You know They do. Uh, so and what- I, I will amend what I said before. About okay. the lyrical content, I didn't dive too hard, uh, too hard or heavy into the lyrical content, so I, mean, I, I can't. That I wanted I, to. Okay, focus I, I on. can't speak heavily to that. I can't. You know, I I think I spoke before knowledge, which is something I don't typically do. But you know, they don't sound like it. Right. So so one last thing of this little history lesson here. So. The 60s and 70s is when Christian music started to sound like secular music. It was secular music just with Christian lyrics. But it wasn't until the 80s when you saw bands start to get progressively heavier. There were some proggy, acid rock kind of stuff in the 70s and 80s that was Christian lyrically. But as far as quote-unquote Christian metal not going to say they're the first, but I will say probably the most well-known and most well-respected is probably Striper. That's what I was thinking. And actually, I'm going to say that Striper on its surface did good. But I think doing things like uh, throwing out Bibles from the stage during concerts and wearing black and yellow spandex probably did not help the overall movement. So like, so for example, I'll I'll give you uh, as far as marketing goes, that versus today uh in in 2023 the band i am currently in red letter rising i feel like the name is pretty obvious within itself but when we play bars or we're the only christian band on the bill we kind of just let the music speak for itself. We've got some imagery on stage that it, it's kind of like a phoenix rising from the ashes kind of thing. I feel like it doesn't it doesn't take a whole lot of leaps to get to what we're trying to say. And I feel like that's what bands should do more is allow this thing. You've come together as a band and you're creating a thing and you're putting on a stage show. You should allow that to be what does does the job unless you're in an arena that is catering to it a hundred percent, you know? Yeah. So, so like, so on our merch table with our shirts and our posters and everything, we have the book of John. It, it, no, it's just, if you want to take one, you can take one. We don't advertise it. We don't say, Hey, be sure to get your copy of the new Testament. You know, we don't do yeah. anything like that. It's just there and, and whatever. Now, like you said, we play at a church, we play at a Christian venue, we play at a Christian event. You want us to speak a little bit? We can, we will. But mm-hmm. living sacrifice, like you said, we've seen them live a couple of times. I saw, uh, the, the show we went to was, I think, Stave Saker. Living Sacrifice and Project 86, right? 100%. Yes, it was. And I got elbowed in the forehead by the bass player from Stavesaker. And I've never had somebody apologize to me as much as that man did. Well, so, and and just last thing before we get into the song. So I'm with you. I think I saw Living Sacrifice twice. And Probably at the same shows. as yeah, Yes. Yeah. And I met Bruce, the, the lead vocalist. And I was a kid. And he was a little bit older, and I just remember being so impressed with his vocals and how he could project that growl and scream for 30, 45 minutes, an hour straight. And so I just asked him, I was like, hey, man, how do you do that without blowing out your throat? And seven, eight inches away from my face, he just went, 
yeah. and it came out of him. And I was like, ah, scared yeah. me. Like, yeah. he was, it all comes out of your gut, man. It's all mm-hmm. down here. He said, my throat feels fine. Yeah, it's like, all about how you like you hold lower throat and in channel area. But so I had this image in my head as I was talking about it, and I wanted to put it out because it's hilarious to me. I know you've been to shows where they have confetti cannons that just shoot out tons of. Yeah. Could you imagine Striper having confetti cannon of, but like the little tiny, like New Testament Bibles? <laughs> like, just, oh, it would be carnage. <laughs> All right. So, track one. Uh- <laughs> oh, no. Like, the, that, that uh, is hilarious to me. So, okay. What I will say going into this is this band kills intros the intro to like every song is on point and i will say because and this is one of the things that it's like i started saying it on every song so i was like i don't need to say it all the time and like we've said other albums we're not going to keep repeating the same thing the intros are amazing through headphones but after that it's like nope nope don't do it so so let me so let's get let's get into this here all right all right all right Reborn Empowered. Okay. So, to Danger's point, let me do a little bit of heavy metal math for you, okay? Okay. The first couple times I heard this song as a kid, I was, like, trying my hardest to figure it out. It's not that complicated once you hear it a few times. But basically, the rhythm does like a one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four. One, two, one, two, three, and then it repeats. The problem is they don't start with one, two. They start with one, two, three. So it's one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, three. And it's like they're, they're literally just trying to mess with you, I think. Like, seriously. So, I mean, the, the drums on this album as a whole i think are are good this is where i realized that it was not going to be a straightforward metal album because we get a minute i think it's at a minute one second we get the quick fast slight drum roll into what is really a a like an old school thrash metal sound And we get that for the majority of this album. And it's like at one minute, one second, you get that quick little and then, well, that was a terrible impression of it, but, um, and it's just dissonant guitars and drums. And you're right. The drum, the drums change. It messed with me when I first listened to it. Not really. It messed with me more when I listened to it through headphones. Cause like that doesn't work, but they actually do that a couple times in this album where they change something you know, significant about the song, but at one minute, one second, we got a thrash metal aggression of 1980, uh, yes. uh, whatever. And, you know, um, LA riots and, um, and it does not let up for all but one track. Of Pretty much. Album. Yeah. And, and take out the chugs and that like mid tempo groove that they throw in periodically. And that's what they used to sound like. Yeah. It's just blast beats full on nonstop and it it didn't work for me. But on this record, when they mix that thrash with that tough guy hardcore sound where you have like that breakdowns and, and those weird time signatures, that's what really, really 
got me into the record more than the thrashy parts. And mm-hmm. and to your point about the lyrics, very first song, some of the lyrics are Jesus, the strength in Christ's name, power, all knees must bow, same spirit that dwells in us raised him from the dead. This gift freely given, you will believe. Okay, you know what you're in for. Right. And no metaphors, no pretty language. It is straight up just as brutal as the music is the lyrics are just as blunt so that's if you're able to hear the lyrics you, if you, you hear can that. understand what he's saying yeah yes. um i mean most people could i know that my parents couldn't understand this you know the lyrics on this and album that's, and that's where that argument comes from like how could this be christian you can't yeah. understand the words well you can understand the words if you take the time to really try to yeah and i remember when i was younger i Back in the days of um, LimeWire and downloading music and burning CDs, yeah. I remember I was actually at somebody's house, a friend of my parents' house, and and she was like, "Yeah, do you want to, you know, download some music and burn a CD?" And what I didn't realize is I was using LimeWire and probably downloading an endless amount of viruses to your computer doing so. But um, and that was when you you know see a thing. It was like um, Jim Morrison and Jimi Hendrix with Eric Clapton, and it's like that's gonna be amazing. And then you'd get it, and it's like some twelve year old in his room playing guitar, but. You know, I remember she looked at me and she was like, what? I've I've listened back to some of this. And, you know, I did it a couple of times at her house and she was like, I listened back to some of this. And how do you listen to this? It's like, it's Christian. And, you know, being a a small child at the time. Actually, (laughs) I was never a small child. I've always been a rather tall feller. But anyway. And and I will say, so there are a couple of other bands like X-Tall and uh, Embodiment and Ludacris that – had some of this sound to it, but but that like ninety-five to two thousand era of Christian rock and metal to me had a lot of cringe in it. And it was guys trying to be trying to fit the secular vibe. We're cool, man, but we sing about Jesus. And these guys never had that. These guys showed up, they looked dingy, they looked dark, they didn't try to Jesus up anything. They just played the music they wanted to play, and these are the lyrics they wanted to put to it. So what I will say, and before we jump on to talking about the next one, is from, I would say, like 97 to 2002, 2003, for every, I would say, seven to eight cringeworthy bands, there was one amazing band that it was almost like, you had to search for it or just kind of be in the know of it. And a lot of times looking at the labels kind of told you what you were getting, you know, in this case, tooth and nail and solid state were usually safer choices. Um, and the, um, uh, cornerstone Christian bookstore was not where you went to get your stuff. You went to the actual <laughs> CD store. You went to BBCDs as we went to. And I remember X toll was in the rack right before I hate God with the two bands back to back. And it was always like, Okay, that's an interesting thing. But a lot of these bands didn't go straight to those Christian bookstores. A lot of them did, and it was always like one or two copies ended up there. But a lot of them, you had to go to the actual album, to the to the record stores and search for them. Mm-hmm. And so that's what kind of told me that, hey, these bands should be paying more attention to. So, yeah. so uh, track two, Truth Solution.
another really cool intro. Uh, similar vibe to the first song. It's got kind of a mid-tempo, little off-kilter rhythm to it, and it gets into some thrashier stuff throughout the song. There's this really ugly, dissonant guitar solo, quote-unquote, in the middle of the song. There is. That as as much as I like weird music and weird, you know, jumps and sound and style and dynamics, that always kind of hits me in the ears wrong. I don't know why. I like this song a lot, and then that little section just feels kind of stabbed in there, like it doesn't belong. <laughs> so this one, that opening riff is that intro is almost yeah. hypnotic. Yeah. And then it's almost like it puts you in like this trance of like, okay, so we just heard number one. We know what's happening. You know, number one, I think was a good opener. Number two, we get this hypnotic riff where you're like, okay, we're heavy, but we're not too heavy. And then all of a sudden we get the heaviness again. We get that thrash punk. We get that metal. And then we do get that little weird solo you're talking about. And that was where I started to think, are they going to put things that don't fit? And I'm going to say for the rest of it, on some songs, yes. And I felt like on some songs, they jammed things in. They were like, hey, we like this. Let's put it in here because we have nowhere else for it to go. And I felt like that's what this solo was. Yeah, kind of. And also on this one, I agree with you about the intros. I feel like 90% of the time, the intros are just long enough that they don't carry on for too long and they set the mood. Every once in a while, I think they might go on a little too long, but I think the outros go on a little bit too long. Like, I feel like they cram two or three unique parts into a three-minute song, but then you look at the track listing and it's four and a half minutes and you're going, well, where's the other 90 seconds coming from? It's because... They have to put an extra eight measures at the front to build anticipation at the intro. But then we've already got it. We've already had a good time. Why do we have to keep playing this lick for another 30 seconds at the end? Like, could we just go ahead and wrap it up? That's the only... I mean, I agree with you. There are little bits and pieces that don't always mesh super well. But as a whole, I just think all these songs could be tightened up just a smidge. I, I'm, I'm going to stand by this. This album killed the intros. I, I loved it. Yeah. I don't feel like the way they end songs on this album is good. Uh, there's one that really jumped out to me. And now, mind you, I did not listen to this album uh, th on a CD or the vinyl, I just listened to what was on Spotify. And so my reflections right. are what's on Spotify. And so the outros, they could be tightened up. Like we don't need mm -hmm. as much as we get. I feel like there's a few times where the outro is what it's supposed to be. You know, yeah. it's it serves purpose, but I'm going to go along with uh, uh, what was the, was it Chronic Futures where I said 
this band doesn't know how to end a song. I feel like it's not as bad as that. Not by any means. I feel like this band actually has trouble ending songs on this album as well. I feel like at this point in their career, they probably know a little bit better how to end a song, especially considering how many projects the other members are involved in. I think it's, I don't know. It's just one of those things where they're in the studio, they're playing this riff and they're all just feeling it and vibing it. And the guys in the booth are just headbanging right along with it. And then they just keep rolling and they just keep rolling. And they keep rolling. And then, you know, when they listen back to it, they're like, Okay, this this is good. This is good. Well, let's you know we'll we'll stop it here or or whatever. I don't think it ever gets egregious to the point of oh my god, make it stop. It's just there's a couple parts where I'm like, all right, I, I get it. This is cool, but it's starting to wear out. It's welcome now. But yeah. on the flip side, talking about intros, track yeah. three, threatened. That's one of the coolest intros on the record for me. Yes. Um, that acoustic guitar, it's it's very creepy. Yes. I don't I, it's hard to explain without like just hearing it, but it's it's beautiful, but it's dark and sinister. I like it. And I saw a thing some time ago where a guy was talking about it's a guy that tries to create tone in uh, from certain songs. You know, he tries to recreate mm-hmm. that tone to play that song again to cover the song. And he was talking about, it's a guy that has a video series on YouTube. I don't do not remember his name, but he was talking about how acoustic guitars don't really have a tone. Like they've got a tone that, that I 100% disagree with that. And the tone on this acoustic guitar shows me 100% he's wrong. And I wish I knew who he was. Cause I would send this to him and go, tell me this isn't tone on an acoustic guitar. And I think he, I, I think he's just you know a guy who's way more into electric guitar. But yeah, that uh, I will say that acoustic guitar yeah. is on point. That intro. Yeah, so that is a nice. That's probably a pretty expensive acoustic guitar. And the reason, part of the reason that it has that sound is it is detuned. Yeah. So there is this like little bit of a string rattle to it that mm-hmm. I think kind of and and who knows there there might also be some pedals and effects you know EQ'd on it which. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But no, there's definitely a, a really specific tone on that acoustic guitar during this intro. So, and uh, so it's either a really expensive guitar and they found that, you know, that perfect place where this comes in, or it's an acoustic guitar that they found in a river under a bridge that had twelve cigarette butts inside of it, and that's just what it sounds like. Build character. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but now, once the song kicks go. in, this is one that uh, when I was younger I loved. And now that I'm a little older, I still like it a lot, but it's it's not quite it doesn't hit me quite as much as it used to. It has a little bit of, of almost like a tool vibe to it, which is eh, not not my wheelhouse. I like the song. It's heavy. It just I don't know. This this one's not one of my particular favorites outside of the mind-blowing intro yeah and it takes a minute 20 seconds to to get to that point and then i felt like this was a place where it's a standard thrash metal song with some of where the producer or engineer is getting a little creative with with changing things a bit Mm -hmm. and it's it, it sounds so much like so much else on this album 
but then also yeah. not like other things. But it's like this one, the intro that up to a minute, 20 seconds, I'm in. And then we hear this song that does not give me any surprises. I think the guitar and bass sound good here. And this is one of the few places where I can separate rhythm and bass guitar. Like most of the album, they are completely blended together. I don't hear bass on a lot of this album. But then on Spotify, at least, and I don't know if this is a case anywhere else, it stops just out of nowhere. It just stops. Yeah, this one just stops. Yeah. yeah. And again, that's what I'm saying. It just feels like just goes on and on and yep. on. And then they just, and which is fine. It's uncomfortable, which the whole song is a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I will push back a little bit on the thrash thing. Cause this one to me, like I, I, I give them a little bit of credit on this one because this one does sound unique to the rest of the record. Cause this is the only one that really dips into that tool universe because that like that little riff has so much 46 and two stink fist vibe to it that I don't know. This song is like kind of in the middle for me on this record, Yeah, but I do like that we're three tracks in and we've mixed it up a little bit. You know, I, I I like this one. I, I, but I agree with you that it's sort of like, the intro is the best part. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why the rest of the song threw me off because that intro was so so good, so solid, and then it's like, okay, we're back here now, and then I, and it's almost like I kind of checked out halfway through the song. And this is the longest song on the album at five minutes eight seconds, and so I do feel like they got into uh, the rhythm that you're talking about, that place you're talking about of like they're just all in there playing and going and going, and then it's like, I I feel like maybe the producer was like at lunch when they were recording this. And he comes in, he's like, no, no, stop. And just ends it. Yeah. And that's where we got so, the sudden stop. So again, we're, you know, three tracks in, we're still mixing it up a little bit. Track four, Awakening. This one actually gave me a little bit of like corn first album life is peachy era like especially with some of the vocal delivery because there's some parts where he's not really screaming he's more just like talking kind of fast and so I, I like this one too around two minutes and 38 seconds it switches up to this like real heavy kind of like mid-tempo groove. that I really, really like. Yeah, this one, it, it kind of goes from like kind of thrashy to a little corn to a little hate breed all within, you know, four minutes. It's kind of a fun one. I like this one. So this one was fine. 15 seconds for that drum intro. And then the drums are prominent on this one for most of it. And I think the drums and vocals lived in that uh, that that corn, you know, new metal territory you're talking about. 
I don't feel like anything else did, but I do like the little scream a- into the drum solo at two minutes, eight seconds. I thought that was a yeah. really great touch. It's a nice way to mix things up without losing momentum, but where the drums and vocals are living in that that territory i felt like everything else was living back in thrash metal land and then we get a sudden change up at two minutes 27 seconds i it made 27 28 seconds according to what i saw is 20 seconds so 227 to 303 is where i felt like they had another song that wasn't done and they were like we need to put this somewhere we don't feel like awakening is long enough and it doesn't go on for five minutes and uh, eight seconds like the other one, but we need to get some more time in it. And so they just threw yeah. this part into here and I don't feel like this part fit in here. And I felt like it changed the momentum of the song. And it's, I don't want to say momentum, excuse me. If you are driving at 80 miles an hour and then you reach a, uh, a split in the highway and then you could stay at 80 miles an hour, but we're no longer going right. We're going left. And it's like, it just kind of changed it for a bit. And then at 3.02, we were offered a ramp back to the other one. And we made it there by 3.03 to get back onto the uh, thrash metal superhighway. And what I find is when they go from thrash into the mid-tempo grooves, I'm in. When they go from the mid-tempo grooves back into the thrash, is when it feels disjointed. I just, like we talked about on some previous records, I am a sucker for when the riff is rolling and then the, they cut it in half and they start to, to you know, do that more bounce kind of sound. Yeah. So for me, I love it. And it does feel a little bit like, ah, you know, a very abrupt. And then we switch sounds, but I don't mind it. I, I like, like I said, I like this one, but I do agree that, you can definitely hear if you if you consume it that way sounds like different songs just kind of glued together now if i said i didn't like it i want to change that because i didn't not like that part of the song i just felt like it was a very different song plugged in and it's not like you gave me a little solo or or a fill of some kind or something to kind of mix it up you just change songs you, yeah. yeah, you just changed songs up. Now, the transition to it, I thought was a good little transition to it, but it was like, I felt like they used like the drums to transition and then everybody else kind of had to like change direction real quick. But yeah. overall, I, I like this one fine, but this is where I start getting into fatigue. And yeah, it's yeah. almost like when we come back to it, it's like, oh, wait, we came back into what we were doing already. All right, so now we're getting into the land of repetition. And I felt like that's where the next few tracks kind of lived. I was a little more on board with certain parts of the next two. Yeah. But I. So, real quick, track five, 180. like we were talking about before the intro goes on for one minute and 25 seconds yeah long intro little bit too long it's cool 
It builds anticipation. I like the riff that it jumps into. But, eh, like, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, you, you, you tighten 10, 15 seconds off that top, 10, 15 seconds off the back. I don't think we get as fatigued as fast. Because you're right. This is one of those albums that just kind of pummels you over the head for yep. 50 minutes. And so what I will say about that. You do different tempos, but it's still oh, pummeling. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you could punch me four times. You could punch me six times. Either way, I'm still getting punched. So what I will say for 180 is the way the guitar is being played, especially in the intro, is very thrash metal playing, but with a punk tone on it, like a, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. an 80s punk tone on it, which I thought was neat. And it was like, that's the reason why I would like was looking forward to that song. But then once that intro is over and we start going heavy, it's like, we're okay, we're doing the thing again. And now yeah. this this is a song that is or a track that's mostly instrumental with less vocals, but what less vocals are there are the same vocals we had before. This is where I realized he's not giving me any dynamic in his voice. He's not changing tone. He's not even giving me, you know, he's not giving me difference in the same track or anything. And I think that's one of the places where I started to get fatigued with it because it's like mm. we're getting the same pummeling with you know everything in this band and then his voice on top of it just is like okay we're we're good and this was the yeah this was that for me it was a realization of okay we're doing this and now a lot of it was actually when i listened to it through headphones because through speakers or in the background it was like okay we're just still doing the metal thing cool all right and i will say i think I'm sure there's some diehard Living Sacrifice fans that will tell you this is their best record, but yep. the general I, consensus seems to be that their next record, The Hammering Process, is most people consider that's when they really came into their own and got their sound down. And one of the things they do on that, it's only on maybe two tracks, three tracks, there is some clean vocal. Yep. And you know, that's not their strong suit. It's just for like a little bit of melody here or there. But I agree, a little bit of that tossed in goes a long way on a record like this that is so aggressive. However, track six, no longer. This song is, I I don't know the word for it. It's so good that I don't have the right word for it. Every time that intro starts and that little kick drum bleeds into the mix, it starts off in the background, and it just gets louder and louder until that snare crack. And then the guitar, the bass, the kick drum, all lock in with this just... It is so heavy. And even 20 years later, to me, it holds up. And it's still just 
brutal heavy. So this was one that listening to it through speakers attentively was yeah. like, okay, we're, there's something really cool here in this one. I, I like this one. And I will say that that feedback into the tapping in headphones, it moves back and forth and it is amazing through headphones. Yes, it is great. Yeah. The drums drive the shit out of this song. Just kill it. He does this triplet thing with the kick. It sounds like doubles, but if you listen, it's actually triples. It's it's massive, yep. massive sounding. And the guitar and bass come in with impact, like with purpose. And this song was one, the uh, track six showed me that this band, like musically, has a lot going on. Now, I remember listening to the hammering uh, process and I thought that was a great album. I still think it's a good album. I don't think it's as great as it, it was when I first heard it. But this song showed me in listening to this, I was like, okay, wait, this, now I understand how we got to the hammering process. The hammering process is, is a lot more like this song yep. for sure. Um, and then and he starts singing and he sounds the same. Yes, he does. But I will say that opening line, he yells, fear, get away from me. And every time he does, I get chills. I agree that it's not different than his vocal delivery on most songs. But the music is so powerful here that his vocals just feel better to me on this one. But. I say all that. This is my favorite song on the record. Every time I hear it, it gets me pumped. I absolutely love it. And nine times out of ten, I skip it before it's over because the outro just never stops. <laughs> yep. And it's probably at about, I don't know, two and a half to three minutes is where my ears just became fatigued. And, yes. you know, I still listen to every other song on this album. I listen to them multiple times. I still have things to say about them, but from here up until a certain point, I'm I'm out. I'm I'm done. Like I, I I could skip the rest of this. You could EP the hell out of this, and I'd be fine with it. So as we've talked about on the Chronic Future episode, as we talked about on a few episodes, to me, I agree. I feel like the first half of this record is a damn good thrash hardcore metal record. The back half is fine. It's more of the same to diminishing returns. I I like a lot of it. There's and and you know, well we can touch on the songs a little, but I agree. I think I think no longer is just one of the best heavy metal songs I've ever heard. Like it slots right up there with the best stuff from Fear Factory and Machine Head and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just so good. And so I feel like you don't put this at the beginning of your record because then you never get better than that. You space but, it out. <laughs> yeah. But now it's like, and I don't know that you put that at like track 10 or 11 either. Although we're going to talk about an album soon that buries the best track. We'll, we'll get to that one soon. All right. But, but no, I agree with you. The back half of this record does not quite reach the level of the, the front half. So the next song, track seven, something more. Oh, 
this one this one kind of gave me similar to uh to uh tracks four and five it's kind of thrashy and then a mid-tempo groove kind of comes out of nowhere There's this cool little like tom percussion thing at the end that That's kind of cool. Yeah. But yeah, it's just kind of more the same. So, the intro on this one was great. That kind of what sounded like the old uh, news broadcast that said the greatest yeah, yeah, yeah. trick the devil ever did was convince the world he's not real. And it was kind of fading behind guitar playing. And then we go into a standard thrash metal track. I will say I did really like the snare tone on this one. Um, but... I lost it at this point. You know, uh, this was the track that made me go. I I don't know if I really like the rest of this album. The guitar was fine through speakers, but through headphones will make your ears bleep on this track. The the guitar is uncomfortable here, but not like an uncomfortable like okay, like this is a scary movie we're watching now. Um, right, right. It's just not not my cup of yeah. I don't want to say tea because tea is dirty British water, but it's. I've never heard it called that, but you are not wrong. Um, <laughs> so then track eight, sell out. This one has that kind of acoustic thing at the beginning again, but it's not as catchy and memorable as uh, track three. This, this, okay, so like you just said, we're getting into kind of a repetitive territory now. Track eight, sellout, is very similar to track three, threatened, that starts with the acoustic, it kicks in a little bit heavier, but it just, I don't know, it, when the vocals kick in, the rhythm gets a little funky and off kilter, and I like that, but yeah, like it, it's not as memorable as, as some of those bits and pieces from the first couple songs. Yeah, I feel like this was one they were wanting to copy a good feeling they had from earlier in the album. And yeah. it becomes heavy at 32 seconds and loses me at 53 seconds. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. The chugga chugga in the voice just doesn't work right now. Now, okay, so track nine, Spirit Fall. I like this one a little bit better because now we're trying some new stuff again. Because in this one, you kind of got that old school hardcore vibe to it. You got some really cool double kick going on. But then you get into this acoustic guitar thing near the end. 
that is a little bit unique to what we've heard so far. It doesn't have that dark vibe of the previous songs. It's almost a little more grunge in in a little bit of ways. So, okay, love the intro again. The fast drums and guitar plays uh, and the guitar plays with the drums which i thought was an interesting thing up to 24 seconds and then the guitar changes the drums stay fast up to 43 seconds when he starts singing and then it sounds the same as every other thing here but then we do get that acoustic outro which is i feel like the only time they really put effort into an outro here and to me it felt awkward and disjointed and I feel like the only reason why they put it on there is because the next track is an all acoustic song. And it's yeah. almost like they put it there as a way of going, Hey guys, we're about to change it up a little bit. I, I felt like it wasn't even really uh, like, I feel like it's one of those things in studio. It's an acoustic guitar, but on live, he just hits his pedal and, uh, and changes, you know, takes off all distortion or whatever and gives it a different tone. And then it's like, you know, I don't even know if they play spirit fall live, but, I felt like yeah, that probably was, not. Yeah, I I felt like this one was them. Uh, I I felt like set or eight and nine sellout and spiritfall are them trying to capture or work with other parts of things instead of allowing these songs, especially spiritfall, to be its own thing. Yeah, and and I like uh, again. You got some some pretty strong praise and worship lyrics. He's uh, one of the lines is anointing fall on this place, spirit of God. We give you praise. And and to your point, the acoustic guitar it kind of bleeds into track ten, presence of God. I'll be honest with you, I listen to once or twice to just familiarize myself with, and then every subsequent listen, I skip it. Because to me, I don't go to Living Sacrifice for a three and a half minute acoustic instrumental. That's not what I'm here for. It's pretty enough, I guess. This to me sounds like a hidden track. This sounds like something you put seven minutes after the last song and leave it there. It's fine, but I, there's nothing to really say about it, really. I feel like this track was put here because the uh, guitar player um, wanted to be like, hey guys, I'm tired of playing this on every track. I want to mix it up. And I could play the same thing over and over again on acoustic guitar, and you should let me do that for 3 minutes and 44 seconds. Because this is just a repetitive acoustic track that slowly fades out. And I probably listened to it maybe twice enough to go. I, I know exactly what this is. I don't, no. I don't need this anymore. Um, you yeah. put effort into the way your song ends. Cool. And, and to just real quick, just to throw this out there, Jason Truby is the guitar player on this record. And he is fantastic. Living Sacrifice around a couple years after this, when the hammering process started to blow up, POD took them on the road. Yeah. And that was sort of kind of probably peak 
you know, popularity for Living Sacrifice. I felt like and POD Jason- kind of grabbed other bands from the scene and they were like, hey, we're, we have success. We're going to take you out, which I'm cool with any yes. band that does that, you know, grabs other bands they think deserve attention. And take them yeah, out absolutely. So, and and even though they didn't sound like them, Pod did this all the time. Pod took Blindside out. Pod mm-hmm. took Living Sacrifice out. Pod took Party Head City B and Lincoln Park. Yeah, before they were big names. So, I, I agree. I think Pod is is good about that. So anyway, Jason Truby ended up being in Pod mm-hmm. on a couple of records. Um, it was when their guitar go, player quit or got fired. Yeah, or it's debated on which one yeah i don't really know but Marco, no or the original gets so. yeah he, he's back in the band now but their was album marcus or love was love I, I don't love the bass player. okay okay i yeah. can't remember but uh the albums payable on death that have the like brown cover with the fairy on it and the next one called testify that's green with like a telephone pole on it those two records have jason truby on them mm-hmm. and they have a really cool vibe mm-hmm. i i don't I hesitate to say those are my favorite POD records, but they probably are. And a big part of it is because of this guy is playing guitar on it. Um, but maybe, anyway, maybe we'll do a POD album one day. Yeah. Back to this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got a, a, a lot of thoughts on POD as far as their trajectory. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. so, track 11 reject. This is the only one that has an official music video for it. Yeah. And that official video looks like something they clamored together in a weekend anyway. So I don't know that it really counts. I like this one, but I I even have in my notes here, I wonder if I love it just because it comes after my least favorite part of the album. (laughs) That was my thought too. I thought that this song had really great moments of building intensity but then you also give me the chugga chuggas after the worst song here. And I felt like I like this one, except the chorus. I feel like we heard already. Yeah. That's my biggest yeah, I thing. Agree. And there's that weird abrasive dissonant guitar solo at the end, but this one actually fits better to me for some reason. I like this one and track 12 liar. The last song on the record, I think they go out with a bang. I think this was a good way to end the record. It is just a tight, short, mean, brazen worship thrash song. Um, This was what I felt like they were really returning to their thrash metal, death metal roots. And you're right. They go out on a bang. This is for all the heaviness that we've heard on this album. This is the heaviest of the album. I thought it was a fine closer. I thought it was a good closer. I don't think it's a great closer to it, but I think it was a closer with purpose. <laughs> um, yeah, the point, here's, here's the lyrics. Enemy of God, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. You're already dead. Be seen for what you are. Liar, 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 liar. Enemy of God, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord. Now, and I feel like, that's what they're here for. Now, you know? I, I didn't read the lyrics for this one, but 
uh, part of that makes me think of what you'd actually talked about on the Memphis May Fire episode, where a lot of bands from this time made songs that went after the televangelist type preacher. And I felt like, Mm -hmm. I, I feel like in hearing the lyrics, that's possibly what this song is about. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, But the other thing that I think I mentioned in that same episode was a lot of Christian bands are scared to alienate certain demographics. So they kind of tiptoe the line because I remember we talked about some of the lyrics on that Memphis Mayfire record where I was like, oh, this is about Jesus. And you're like, no, this is about a relationship. It's and it, I think it's interpreted differently depending on the listener. I think we're both right. You know, I think I don't think either one of us is wrong. I think it's left up to interpretation. There is no interpreting that. No. So I I think for a lot of people, you know, if you have not listened to this record and you just heard me read those lyrics and you think Christianity is kind of lame, that's probably cringy. And you're probably going, "Ooh, that is ooh, beat you over the head with it." But then when you hear it in the context of the music that envelops it, you're not going to say that because yeah. this is as brutal, heavy. And the thing is, is it's not sloppy either. These no. guys are good. They are tight musicians. And so like I was listening to um, some other stuff that, you know, like Slaughter to Prevail and, you know, that kind of stuff. Like you can say, Ugh, I don't like this. It's too much. But you still have to respect the fact that these guys are doing it with their hands and feet and their bodies. Like yeah. it's incredible musicianship. There, there's a lot of a lot more talent that goes into sustaining this for. Yes. In this case, two minutes twenty seven seconds. But I mean, the I think the thing that this album shows us because there's a good chunk of this album that is just the same sound. This album it, for the listener and for the musicians is an endurance test. And and to be honest with you, you know, I, like I've been saying, shave a little at the top of a song, shave a little at the back. But if you had just one or two more songs like Liar that are just two and a half minutes, just beat you over the head for just two and a half minutes, then you're on to the next thing. I think that would have went a long way. I think that you're exactly right. When I put this record on and when I'm in the right mood for it, I am just oh, I am so, like, I'm Mandy Moore in that movie, Saved, where she's like, I'm just filled with Christ's love. Like, yeah. I'm just, like, fired up. And then about halfway through the record, I'm like, I need to lie down. I'm tired. Like, yeah. and, you know, live, it's a little bit different because you're so amped yeah, up. Right. But, but I agree with you. I think this is a great heavy metal record at about 60% at a time. Like, because I will say I've also, knowing how much I absolutely adore track six, no longer. Right. I have started at track seven, something more, and listened to it from then, and then let it start over. And... I like the back half of the record more when it's not preceded by the front half, if that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> so I think it'd be a good thing, a good idea to take this album to listen to it. And because that front half is, is, is a lot better than the last half, maybe take the, the, you know, all except for the last song. I think that first, that last song should stay as the last song as a punctuation exclamation period. Yeah. Um, and the rest of them, you know, make a little playlist on Spotify and mix the, the track listing up and space out that that bit of it. You know, 
maybe move that number 10 to a different place just to kind of break up the the onslaught and then allow spirit fall with the little grunge um, oh, yeah, yeah, flavored yeah. Yeah, the little thing at the end there yeah yeah the the grunge flavored acoustic guitar um maybe put that somewhere else just to kind of give like a little bit of reprieve to what you're getting and allow the intros to kind of breathe a little bit i don't know i don't know that's just my thought on it you know i've said on previous episodes uh, a lot of times in my bands i was kind of a setless guy a trackless mm-hmm. guy i i pay attention a lot to that you know what kind of momentum do we have what kind of ride are we on and i that's a fun experiment to play even on records that you love sometimes it's fun to mix up the track order and just hear it in a different way they're um talking about the limewire days i remember when i got corn's album untouchables before it came out i got it burned off a limewire and it was in the complete wrong order oh yeah so when i finally got the album i was like this doesn't feel right. And I always thought it was just me. It's funny. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, another podcast I like to listen to was talking about that album. And this guy had written in and said, hey, if you want to really enjoy this album, try it under this track listing and gave his own spin on it. And I thought, that's. I'm glad I'm not the only one that's like, yeah, some of these albums are really, really good, but they'd be even better with some sequencing mo- moved around. So I know that we have talked about uh, track listing in albums as we are on this one, and we we did earlier on more so, I feel like, maybe not. So if anybody's interested in an album that we've talked about, but they would be interested to hear it in the way that we're presenting it, let me know. I'll be more than happy to throw together a Spotify playlist with the tracks in that certain order, because I feel like there's uh, quite a few of those that I would like to hear in a different order that I didn't do. I just listened to and gave my opinion in the way that it was. So with and, all that, and, and I think or, I was just gonna say, and I think this would be a really good one to to do that as an example of because I feel like those first six songs are all really good, and if they are put throughout the mix of the rest of the record, I don't think you'd have such a drop off midway through, yep. and it might make for it. Honestly, thinking about it that way, I would potentially go up a number or two on my score. I'm not going to. I'm going to leave it where it is. Yeah. But yeah, so that's a cool, cool concept to think about. Yeah. So with all that being said, why don't you give me your closing statement and your your ranking? Okay. So Living Sacrifice was a band that solidified to me that quote unquote Christian music could be just about any style imaginable. I knew people that didn't listen to Christian music, but listened to Living Sacrifice. There was nothing silly or cringy about their style of Christian rock. I believe Living Sacrifice were pioneers not only in the Christian metal scene, but in the metal scene as a whole. Their added percussion, odd time signatures, and abrupt tempo changes are all things synonymous with the gent and math metal today, but were relatively uncommon back in 1997. I feel like most of these songs are great, but all but it all just goes on a little too long. Shorten an intro here, an outro there, cut a few minutes off this album, and it's a heavy metal classic. Even if this isn't your favorite style of music, there's no denying the chops these musicians have and the passion and conviction in the lyrics and their delivery. For Christians, this is a powerful praise and worship record. And for non-believers, there's enough intensity and power to solely enjoy it on the music alone. However, 
one to 10. I give it a six. Okay, so I'm going to say this is an excellent balance of thrash metal breakdowns and industrial sounding noise for the first half. It is hard to put this album in one category. At first, it sounds like metalcore, but then there are no clean vocals giving a break from the growling. There are complex riffs, time signature changes in the drumming, and can make this a reward to listen to. With some production issues creating hurdles, the constant onslaught that can uh, that can cause some fatigue, even with what begins to feel like a lesson in repetition, this album will get you pumped and create a force of energy from within you. I also gave this album a six. Hey, you know, it's funny. As you were saying that, I was like, you know, this might be the most like connected our our final statements have been. Like, I feel like we were both kind of saying almost the exact same things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think you were giving a radically different score. Um, I was tempted to. I kind of <laughs> honestly in in ranking, I kind of went back and forth on a couple things. At one point, I had it as low as a four point five, and it was just kind of a. I was struggling with where to put this because I don't feel like this was a situation where the songs that were good were so good they gave you know they made the of the bad songs yeah. better they made the you know the album better. I don't feel like this was one of those albums, but I had to really stop and think about the musicianship on this album and think about the level of talent and skill that actually is applied to heavier music that does not get enough credit, and that is very present here. The intros show that these guys really knew how to craft a sound. And then mm -hmm. I think it was the production's fault on why a lot of it sounded the way it did. So as a band, I think they deserved a better score than what I initially wanted to give this album. And we've talked about this before. It is very difficult to judge a band or an album on one piece of work when you are familiar with the rest of their catalog or when Absolutely. it's something so many years ago. Because that's the thing. Like I said in that little outro there, um, a lot of the stuff they're doing is stuff that a lot of bands now have built careers on. But in 1997, it was a relatively new thing to be incorporating into your music. So you have to give a little extra for that too, in my opinion. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think a six is fair. I think if you just love like absolutely brutal music, you give it an extra point or two. If you aren't as big a fan of that, and you, you give it a point or two less, but I think I think we're right in the the right sweet spot there on this album. All right, so we both give this album a six, which gives it an average of six. Surprise, surprise. So that actually puts it right below Radiohead's OK Computer at six point two five. And then it actually ties it with Flyleaf, Memento Mori, and Caroline Spine, Attention Please, also having sixes. So, Interesting. Yeah. And those both have sixes because I ranked them much higher and you ranked them much lower. <laughs> um, actually, so Flyleaf, we both gave that a six as well. Um, we did. Okay. Yep. And Caroline Spine, you gave that an eight and I gave that a four. Now, if anybody out there has a suggestion of an album they would like for us to talk about. If you've been listening to something that's new, be more than happy to talk about it. Um, actually, I'd, I've kind of been feeling doing a newer album lately for whatever reason. So, um, you know, reach out to us at Danger and Sarge across all platforms or our Breakdowns for Breakfast Facebook page or send us an email at dangerandsarge at gmail.com. 
And, you know, you mentioned wanting to do a new record. Next week, we will be doing Bad Omens, Death of Peace of Mind, which came out last year, 2022. Pretty new record there. Yep. And uh, that'll be a fun one. I got some things to say. Yep. Um, I uh, got some things to say, too. So, um, So, but I think it's funny that we did a Christian metal album this week, and next week we're doing Bad Omens, which... Yeah. Whatever that is. We'll get there. So... As you go forth today, I hope everyone has a great day. And no matter what anybody tells you, you look excellent.